You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and coming up on the programme tonight, it's wine time with Ron Forrestal from Forrestal Wine Merchants, who's waiting to join me in the studio. Brigitte Hedden-Curtin from the Burns Smokehouse will be revealing her progress on the Yes Chef charity cycle that started yesterday in Lustenbarna. Pat Whelan talks to me at the Great Taste Awards, judging Clonmel County Tipperary, and Lizzie Lyons from Lizzie's Little Kitchen in Listool Market and Ballybunion in County Kerry will be on the phone to tell us about her television debut this Sunday. A reminder as to how you can get in touch with me, you can drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. Now, every month, Ron Forrestal pops into the studio to share some wine suggestion with us, and I can hear the bottles clinking now as he's about to come through the door. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleunte. Ron, you're very welcome to the studio this evening. Thanks, Sharon. And you've brought in some summer wines for us. Yes, I thought with the weather improving, and uh, that was very nice um, for the last couple of weeks, really, that it's time to look at some summer wine especially when people are you know maybe heading away maybe have a a home somewhere else or that and need to take some wine with them and want to get something that's not expensive but the quality is good and that will uh, and a bit different as well so that you don't have what you see in supermarkets we try to to look outside that let's not speak too soon about the weather and let's not jinx (laughs) it regardless of whether the sun is shining or the rain is falling these wines can all be enjoyed absolutely Absolutely. okay now my eye is drawn to the first one here because i see vino verde on it yes vino verde is is a a region in in portugal um anyone who spends any time has been in holiday in portugal or spends any time there will have seen a whole variety of vino verdes there's hundreds of them on the market um then what we have a couple of them on our list uh this one is a castle garcia which is a label you'd actually recognize from portugal it's a very well-known label in portugal and it's the kind of benchmark vino verde it's the one that comes out every year um it's drank very young it's a, it has almost a green tinge to it. It gives the idea it has to be drank fresh. It has a slight effervescence in it, a slight bubble. I don't mean Prosecco bubble now, but it has a slight effervescence in it. And it makes it, when it's served really cold, it's just the most refreshing drink. And would you serve that really ice cold? Yes, as cold as you can get it. So yeah. stick it in the freezer maybe for a while before you, you're going to open it? An ice bucket is the best way to chill anything. So if you want to, I know it's hard, particularly people are, people are away saying, you know, they have mobile homes somewhere or something. It's very hard to have a fridge with uh, with six bottles of wine in it. It's not easy because, you know, the, the, it's a bit smaller than we have at home. And that I'm saying is that just get some ice, um, get an ice bucket. And that can be anything. That can be a bucket. It doesn't matter. Put some water, a uh, bag of ice into it. It'll put in two or three bottles of wine into a fairly big bucket, be chilled in 20 minutes. And it'll be really cold. Great tip for the mobile yeah. home. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the, the label in that looks very it's, stylish and it looks like it's an expensive bottle of wine. It's not that expensive at all. It costs you around 11 50 or €12. Euros. So it's, it's very reasonable. Uh, no, there is much cheaper wines out there. But I'm saying if you want something that's nice, you want to just take away eight or ten bottles, or if you have uh, something at home like a communion or something where you want to get something nice and different and get a half dozen bottles, it's a lovely product. So it is. Now, you said that there's a slight fizz to it, like effervescence to it, right. and... It is a screw top. It is, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of opening that and not drinking it all in one go, which I know is a bit of a rarity, but would it yes. still be as good the next no, day? No, it won't. No, like it's going to, once it's opened, it's going to lose its, its pressure in the bottle. In so you're going to have to drink this. There's just no way around that, I'm afraid. <laughs> What's the percentage alcohol? Is it uh, high It's not that alcohol? high. It's about 12%, so it's it's a pretty reasonable. Quite high for white, I uh, think. Well, it's, the weather is good, so it's uh, <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to have that... Uh, well, that's definitely one to try. Now, the next one is, is that a Chilean I see? It's a Chilean. It? And the reason I, I bring this, because it's kind of a slight move against Chilean wine, whereas, you know, I find a lot of restaurants are looking for a more French house wine or French pouring wine or away from Chilean wine. I don't think there's any particular reason for that. I think that Chile has been so popular for the last 10 or 12 years that people, customers are looking for a variety more than anything else. But this is a product from uh, Vumanent, very old winery in Chile. I think we, we talked about it before, maybe a year or two ago. Um, it's a fantastic product. It's a reserve. It's not a house wine. It's above that on a wine list in a restaurant, uh, retailing around 10, 50 or 11 euros. Um, but of quality wise, it's an exceptionally good product. 
um, uh, this is the brand name is Rayuela on this one uh, from Vuma Nint as I said and as I think as I told you before it's my wife's favourite white of all the whites that, that we have this is her favourite one Just explain Reserva if you see Reserva on a bottle what does that tell you about it? It means different things in different countries um, in Chile it doesn't mean a great deal there's no specific legislation attached to Reserva whereas in Spain for example there is specific legislation attached to it where it means Reservas are for Reds in Spain um, take for example Rioja where you'd have uh, Crianza Reserva Gran Reserva um, the Crianza would have um, six to nine months in oak the Reserva has to have over nine months generally about 12 to 18 months the Gran Reserva has to have 24 months in an oak barrel in an actual barrel now that's the legislation you can't put that in the bottle whereas anywhere else in the world um, that I that I comes to mind has reserva means that the winery um, thinks a little bit more about the grapes that go into this than the other ones which means they reserve them for this this particular bottling in opposed to have any specific Is it a bit of a marketing gimmick? It's a bit of a marketing a lot of people are moving away from it a lot of wineries are moving away from it Argentina um, uh, ruled on it uh, last year to say that you couldn't use the word reserva um, on their labels unless they introduced um, a specific winemaking to it as in oak barrels and aged and that didn't suit a lot of the Argentinian wines because they drank more is pretty young so they started using the word selected in opposed to reserva Okay, well, that's good to know about the Spanish wine, that if you see yeah, Reserva, it's, yeah, like it's yeah. a really good bottle. I wanted to ask you then about Chilean wines, I think, have got a bad reputation for generating hangovers. Um, yeah, I, I don't see... There's, there's no uh, chemical um, um, uh, added. There's no uh, other thing that should be doing that. Um, bar the same wine process as most other countries, New World countries are using. Uh, the alcohol level tends to be fairly high in them. What it's 12.5% in that one. Half, okay. uh, the reds will be up around 13, 13.5%. So the alcohol level is pretty high. They're pretty easy to drink. So they can be drank quicker than you'd imagine they can be drank. So um, maybe that's where the hangover so that could comes be a bit of it as well. We're on to Italy then with a lovely Pinot Grigio. Actually, it's from Sicily. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, which is, it's all based under Italian. It's all given the same rules as Italian wine. But uh, this is from Sicily. Um, I, I really like it. It's it's very different. And if you put two Pinot Grigios together, an Italian Pinot Grigio and this one together, you'll almost feel like this just comes from better weather. You know, it has that kind of fresh feel to it, like lemony kind of citrus feel to it. But a lot of Pinot Grigios are tend to be fairly dullish when you drink them, whereas this is much fresher. It's a lovely product and it's not expensive at all, like under a tenner a bottle. It looks like a nice bottle now. The yeah. colour of it wouldn't be... Uh, well, it would be greener, would it, than the than I the think Chilean the bottle Rayola. is doing that to it. It tends to be a fairly light colour. Uh, most Pinot Grigios tend to be a pretty light, light colour, almost water-like in appearance, really. They don't have much of a colour. But Pinot Grigio producers tend to colour the bottle slightly. And if you, if you were in a restaurant and that was listed on it, would, it, would they put it under the Italian section? They tend to have a subsection for Sicily. I've never seen that in a yeah. wine list before, so that's very interesting. You've never seen a Sicilian no, wine? Uh, Nero Davola would be, if you've seen that in a wine list before, that's all Sicily. Say that again? Nero Davola. Okay. If you've seen that in a wine list. A lot of Italian restaurants would have it as a, as a house wine. Oh, yeah. And uh, this has a sister wine, a Nero Davola. We need to pay more attention to the fact that it is a different country. It is a different country. But now Sicily used... Italy as much as <laughs> more than Italy is Italy, if you know what I mean. They're happy to be lumped in with Italian wines because it makes it easier for them to sell. And then finally, the Gavi. Yes. Now, this is getting up market a bit now. From, uh, Gavi is from the uh, north of Italy, uh, Piedmont, uh, same place you get Barola, Barbesco, all those real quality red Italians. And Gavi is a, is a region there. It's like Champagne, it's like Chablis. You have to produce within the region to get the name. Uh, using the Cortez grape, which is a bit more full-bodied than Pinot Grigio, a bit more to it. Uh, it's more like a heading towards Chardonnay and opposed to, to Pinot Grigio, which is fairly dry and light. Chardonnay is more full-bodied. But Gavi's a super product. That, and that's a Rocosa, which is a... It, it, you can pay anything for Gavi. You can pay 25, 30, 40 euros a bottle for a bottle of Gavi. Retail. Um, whereas this is better value cost around 15, 14 or 15 euros and interestingly it has a cork unlike the others which cork, are all screw yeah. taps yeah. Uh, screw caps now you can get some Gavis uh, come in screw caps some of the more cheaper ones you'll see some of them in supermarkets but any of the ones that, that uh, I have another one called Fontefrida which costs about 20 euros a bottle and they'd be disgusted if you ever mentioned 
or screw cap. I know now you've said before in the show that there really is no reason why all bottles shouldn't have a screw yeah, absolutely. A screw cap on it. But it does actually give it the sense of a better quality if there's a cork in it, I think. It does. I think the cork is one thing. I think the closure around the cork means a lot too. You know, that that's... A lot of the time you can get cheaper ones that'll end up in cork too because they're... Uh, a lot of the time they don't afford to put them in screw caps it's more expensive to really, use really is it it is it's more expensive to use because the bottling line tends to be more expensive um, whereas if you go to if you go to Italy or Spain your holidays and look at the stuff the amount of screw caps that are on the shelf it's, it's not near as common as here now we've taken to it very well but they don't see the issue with, it, with the fact that you need that easy to open it they're, they're pretty good at opening them and uh, they don't tend to close them afterwards so they tend to drink a bottle if it's opened so it doesn't have the same um, popularity that it has here but um, so yeah the, the, I think the closure around the cork means a lot um, it's now Irish people funny enough are, are pushing against corks altogether they just they just don't work. I've, we have the amount of restaurants we have that just it's not whether it's our staff have got the, the habit of opening corks but I had one restaurant last week that we put a new wine list into and after we put the wine list together about 8 or 10 wines a couple of sparklings and that and the lady rang me again the following day and said she had a consultant in to look at the restaurant the night before and he said well they all in screw caps all the wine and I said uh, well actually there's three of them they're not now I said I need to change them I need to change them to screw caps very interesting yeah there you go it just shows you that the staff his his view on it was that why put the staff under that kind of pressure that they need to be opening corks let them just have something they can open easily I was surprised by that I thought that was which is a shame like to have to change the nice products there were three of the nicest wines yeah there were very very unfortunate if you were going to pair any of these wines with food are they standalone you can drink them by themselves with no food or do more of them go better with food well the the uh, the vino verde is a real aperitif drink um it's the kind of drink that you sit out in the sun have little bites of something um, may not necessarily be a food as in dinner wine that you'd pick it's more of a when people arrive that you'd have a glass of this very cold uh, pinot grigio kind of works in the same market that it has you know it's the kind of thing you stand around having a glass of before you go for dinner uh, then when you get to the other two the, the Sauvignon Blanc and the Gavi there's more body to them so they stand up to food much better um, Sauvignon Blanc the Rayuela goes particularly well on seafood salads the Gavi works very well with white meat even stuff that gets a bit heavier like monkfish that would have a lot of you know flavours around it so uh, the first two you can listen you can drink any of them anytime if they're cold enough you'll You've all, the, you've all the bases covered there <laughs> from the aperitifs right down. I'd say the um, the vino verde might be nice for the dessert as well. Yeah, it's it's it, like it's not sweet now, but it's it's fresh. So that's that's a good idea at the end. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, anything to fantastic. Well, they all look great. Thanks for bringing them in tonight. And if people want to get more information, if they go to forestill.ie, they're listed there. I'm sure. Absolutely. Uh, all listed there. We have a brand new list out. So if anyone contacts us the list, we have over 220 products on it. Time to stock no. up for the summer wines. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Great, Ron. Thanks for coming in Thanks, tonight. Ron. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleite. Great to have Ron in studio as always. And if you have a Vino question for him that you'd like me to put to him when he's next here, feel free to email it to me, s.noonan at live.ie. Still to come on the programme tonight, I'm out and about and meet Butcher Pat Whelan at the Great Taste Awards, judging in Clonmel, County Tipperary, and Lizzie Lyons from Lizzie's Little Kitchen in Listool Market, and Bally Bunyan in County Kerry will be on the phone to tell us about her television debut this Sunday. Next, though, we're heading up to Clare and Galway, where Brigitte Hedden Curtin from the Burns Smokehouse has an update on the Yes Chef charity cycle and details about this weekend's Burns Slow Food Festival. Bon appetit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Brigitte, you're very welcome to the programme and you're great to take the call because I'd say you're a very tired lady after doing two days of cycling. Well, it's a bit challenging now, I must say, and I uh, might be a bit sore here and there, but um, it, it's also it's for, all for a good cause and also a, a great crew to be out with. Yeah, It seems like a long time since I'd Shane Smith on the show here talking about the Yes Chef charity cycle, mm. which is a three-day cycle, and it started from the Burn Smokehouse, I believe. 
Yeah, we started in the Burns storehouse, um, not actually the, the storehouse, which is beside the roadside tavern and the smokehouse. So then we cycled up to Galway, and we've just finished a day now in Connemara. So tomorrow then we'll be going back to Istanbul, to the storehouse over the, uh, the um, Corkscrew Hill. And that evening, we can we be able to clap ourselves on the back. Uh, tomorrow evening, we can clap ourselves on the back to for what we have achieved and we'll have a bit of a shindy so the wild boar and a kind of a surf and turf um, menu on our uh, char grill oven in the Burns storehouse and there'll be music afterwards so you can come along anybody can come along there'll be good chefs around it's 50 euro for this charity event uh, uh, for the meal and then you can also come for 10 euro you can come in and just join for a bit of dancing and a bit of fun and little birdie told me that the wild boar is a Ballinwillen farm boar yeah 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 no it's fantastic we've got support from here and there and everywhere you know people have been very generous um supporting us for the for the uh, cystic fibrosis well, there couldn't be a better week really to be in the burn because then this weekend starting on Friday you have the burn slow food festival yeah that's next we kind of we have started off the slow food festival with the cycling very healthy healthily and then we're moving into this Friday there's going to be uh, first time first of its kind uh, a barren champagne picnic under the cliffs of Mohar with a uh, we go on to Doolin and take a ferry Doolin ferry out in under the cliffs of Mohar and then we'll have champagne and a seafood picnic out there so that's really amazing that sounds lovely and then you can come back, back when we come back. That's between six o'clock until eight. So uh, 50 euro for the whole thing. And then you can come in and uh, do a whiskey tasting. There's some um, Leslie Williams is um, a freelance uh, journalist and who writes for the Examiner. He's doing, he's doing featuring a lot this weekend. He's very supporting us a lot here. So he's going to uh, taste some different whiskies. I think they're going to be some seriously good ones. I think red spot, oh, sorry, green spot and red breast perhaps and maybe some other really interesting ones. And um, then, so that's Friday evening. Conclusion, the, there's always uh, music in the roadside tavern. Uh, and then Saturday morning, we'll be starting off with uh, Brendan Dunford, who is from Burren Bio and uh, Burren Life, uh, which is... Um, conservation program that is happening with the farmers in the area. Dr. Bernard Dunford has been very much um, this, the person who started this off and went for fun, EU funding. It's an EU life program um, and he he's still working very very hard with that. Himself and his wife, uh, God rest her, have worked extremely hard with it and have made it a huge success. So much so as that it came on the radar for um, uh, Prince Charles. So last year when he visited in May, he came and visited, uh, went out with Brandon to see what the life project was about. Because it's very close to him, organics and also any form of conservation of, of, of farming and landscape. Um, Prince Charles is also very interested in that. So that was amazing uh, opportunity for the whole of the Baron, you know, to have that kind of visit. So that's the uh, Saturday morning, 12 o'clock. We also have children's activities. So there's a bushcraft for kids. Um, that's somebody who's coming up from uh, Alibi Caves. Alibi Caves are running bushcraft camps uh, now during the summer. And John, my son John did one, and it's superb. They're really, really good. What does that involve, a bushcraft well, kind of, camp? You make, you make little wooden arrows. You work with, you know, like simple things like making things yourself really out of wood and uh, um, there was there was also archery in, in the in the Albert Caves but so it's kind of in around that so the um, Mike is going to do that uh, just give a taster of you know a small taster it's in the hall in, on the Saturday so children can come along and uh, try it out under supervision of course of Mike of course so Fantastic. Um, then we have uh Brendan is going to talk, give a talk uh, about 6,000 years. He launched the festival first and then give a talk about the uh, 6,000 years of farming in the barren. Um, so that will be the theme. Uh, also, 
after that, then we have Val from Limerick, Val's Kitchen. She is doing a book launch and she's going to do a demo with, um, she's very much into foraging, but also fermenting. So that's her latest. And she had re- previously done a book on bread making, which she also launched at the Burns, Smoke, uh, Burns Slow Food Festival last year. Um, then we have a uh, cooker demo with our craft butcher, uh, Neil Hawes, uh, where he'll be showing how to de- cut out the bone and take out different cuts. He's part of the food trail, of course, as well, our burn food trail. And then we have another person from the, uh, another member of the burn food trail, which is Una Dwyer. And she's from the Wild Kitchen. Uh, she is a forager and brings groups and people for foraging. Now she's going to more show the wild kitchen, few things that you can pick, and then also what cook, you know, do do salads and whatever, cook, do a little meal out of it. And then we have uh, again with Leslie and also uh, Niall uh, from Claw in um, in Dublin. We're going to have oyster tasting uh, paired with wine and stout. So there'll be uh, so a plate of seven different oysters. And we're going to compare the different tasting notes of that. But the, 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 some of the oyster farmers will be there to talk about their produce and the conditions that the, the oysters uh, live in and why the taste and the flavors and the textures come out. So that will be kind of interactive because people will also from the audience be talking about how, what they taste. Um, we'll have a bit of wine and stout for that, a bit of Burren, Peter's Burren Brewery stout, which goes very well with seafood. And finally, before the slow food banquet, we're going to do, again, Leslie, working hard, he's going to do champagne and wild smoked salmon pasting. So we've just received, like last, uh, I was down on uh, Saturday uh, a week ago, and I got uh, I got our first 15 fish. So oh, that has nice. been smoked, and that's going to be part of the tasting with the champagne. We thought that that could, could, could go very well. I mean, it's the Atlantic salmon, wild salmon, it's just so few licenses and it's, um, uh, we would only buy, of course, licensed fish, but it's a celebration. It's a very seasonal thing, May, mid-May to mid-August. So it's a huge opportunity to do a celebration about around the wild smoked salmon. And goes well with champagne, I would imagine. Absolutely. Yeah, a bit of Bollinger. So, Fabulous. Uh, and that Finn Blatter kindly have sponsored. Um, and the, um, the whiskey bit actually on the whiskey taste be sponsored I should mention that from Jemison so that would be uh, some of the top ranges now <clears throat> then that night uh, for 50 euro you can do Burns Low Food Banquet and Surf and Turf and again down the Burns Door House with the, the, the grill we have um, just recently uh, got a, a grill a char grill oven built for us so on that we'll do Surf and Turf perfect you just kind of sear meat or fish or vegetables and so the theme would be some lamb there of course and you know seasonal seasonal produce so that's uh, Saturday done now we're moving into Sunday and on that we're starting kicking off on the Sunday morning eat your way to health growing for health uh, living a food demonstration from uh, Deborah Evers in uh, Balibohan she has <clears throat> a kitchen garden there and she's um, teaming up with, with a few others and they're going to uh, do a demonstration and talk about how to eat your way to health, which is a really great concept, you know, that you are, we are what we eat, but also we want to promote that in the slow food. Um, and then that's followed by cheese tasting, tasting by Catherine Cleary, uh, which we're delighted to have down. She writes for the, and she does restaurant reviews and writes for the Irish Times magazine. Uh, so thrilled to have her here. She recently uh, wrote the uh, Sheridan's cheese book. So, but she's going to do some cheese tasting. We, then we have our Mission Star um, restaurant, Anir. JP McMahon is coming down. He got the Food Hero of the Year uh, Year's Award in the, at the Restaurants uh, Awards last week. So we're thrilled to have him. Uh, he's amazing uh, himself and his wife, Dregin are amazing people. They are just out there. You know, they come up with new concepts. They organized last year Food on the Edge, which is happening in Galway. I have already booked my tickets for this year in October. Uh, and um, he just, you know, he just has it. He's just very cutting edge. And I think he does 
so much good for the Irish uh, food industry. I don't think he ever sleeps. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. I think <laughs> once I saw it, you know, uh, was it January 2015, <laughs> I think. What are you going to do? What am I going to do for this year? You know, New Year's resolution. It was like, oh, write two books. And then, you know, <laughs> incredible. He's very, very creative. He's very dynamic. Um, yeah, very dynamic. And yeah. so Jean as well, you know, from fabulous people. She's, you know, amazing for her organization levels and keeping everything rolling. So the two of them, you know, they're pretty amazing people. And then we finally, um, the last uh, talking demo will be Lucre Honey and uh, Orin Island's Goat's Cheese. Uh, from bricks to be- bees and boats to goats. So that'll be interesting. Is that a bit of fun. Is that Gabriel? Is that, is that Gabriel O'Flaherty? Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay, great. Fantastic. Well, it's on the Sunday, the 29th of May. So we'll be, we'll be pretty, pretty... Um, uh, festival out of it after all that is well so festival oh yes yeah. absolutely but um, a great weekend and super programme of events lined up there if people want to go on to a website and get more details where's the best place for them to go okay all the tickets are available online in event, on Eventbrite but if you go to uh, slowfoodclare.com you see the festival programme you also have uh, an area where you can buy all the tickets. It brings you to, to what you call it, um, at the very bottom of the on the home page. You can see all the tickets that you can buy there, uh, and it brings you to Eventbrite. So you just can book with your credit card. Uh, I would recommend that you you do book and. Um, yeah, no, it's going to be a super, super event. And I love the way we're starting in with the cycle. You know, the fact that we have started with the cycle and have some very good names with us. Uh, Derek Clark, um, um, Garrett Mullins from, from what do you call it, from the, the Marker. And um, Dee Laffin. Oh, lots of lovely people. Well, have a fabulous day tomorrow. Enjoy the final day of the cycle. You'll be looking forward, be looking to, forward to, to getting your uh, land to legs back yes, on Friday. Dancing and <laughs> some, some good food and dancing and replenishing my energies. Absolutely. Well, thanks <laughs> thanks for sharing all the details about it tonight and best of luck with it. Thanks, Birgitta. Thank you so much for uh, giving me this opportunity. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. So far on the show tonight, our resident wine guru, Ron Forrestal, has been in the studio sharing his wine tips and recommendations for summer wines. Visit forrestal.ie for all the details of Ron's extensive portfolio. And just before the break, Birgitta Hedden-Curtin was on the phone with details about this weekend's Burren Slow Food Festival. If you are just tuning in, you can catch the show in the Best Possible Taste podcast, soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show, or subscribe to it free of charge on iTunes or use the podcast app. We still have Lizzie Lyons from Lizzie's Little Kitchen in Listowel Market and Ballybunion in County Kerry to look forward to this evening. Lizzie is going to be on the phone to tell us about her television debut this Sunday on Sunday AM on TV3. But before that, a couple of weeks ago on the show, I shared the interview I had with butcher Pat Whelan. Apparently there was a glitch that night if you were listening live through your radio. So I thought I'd take the opportunity to play the interview again tonight. Pat is from John Whelan Butchers and their beef dripping took the Supreme Great Taste Champion title last year. This year, the judging took place in Clonmel, County Tipperary. And I was delighted to be there and took the chance to meet and speak with Pat. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Pat, I'm sure last year when you were over in England and your beef dripping was announced as the best product at the Great Taste Awards, you didn't really envisage that the Great Taste Awards would be in Clonmel on your, literally on your front door the following year, did you? Oh, I absolutely did. Oh, did because you? Because when I saw the opportunity, when I was awarded the Great Taste Award, which is like the movie industry has Oscars and the food industry has great taste and great taste is um, recognition among your peers uh, both in Ireland and Great Britain um, is probably in its 21st year last year was is probably the most 
recognized star, uh, recognized star that you can get. You know, it's it's blind tasted, uh, without badges or, ba- or packaging or anything like that. The product is around taste. So when I was walking up to the stage, I, I said to myself in, in my own note to self, how can I bring this back home? Because I think I need to inspire more people uh, to, I suppose, to innovate and to create. And I said to John Farrand after he presented me with the prize, you've got to bring this to my hometown. And he said, I will. And I think he said, I will, because he was in the, on the spot. I said, that's a promise, and I don't break them. And he said, OK. And that was the conversation. But I'd say you were very much instrumental in making it happen. I, uh, you know, um, I really believe in local sustainable food economies. I believe in Tipperary. I'm a very proud Tipperary man. I'm very proud of the food landscape that exists in this county as a result of the Tipperary Food Producers Network, which has been established eight years now. Um, so we're a very established county and we know, uh, we know our food. So to bring somebody like Great Taste here to Tipperary and here to, to my hometown of Clonmel, it's a great privilege and an honour and it makes me very proud. And it, it's pr- you're proud to bring them and to show them what we have because, you know, we think, uh, we think of food just, but food is made, up, made by people and people live in places. So it's not about just the food, it's about the people, it's about the passion and it's about the product and the place we're all from. And, and they're the key elements that make it, you know, give it the personality that it has. And I think in terms of counties, you know, uh, we're a marketeer's dream because the place name we have, Tipperary, is instantly recognisable, uh, made famous by the song back in the war times of It's a Long Way. But every time you travel, uh, people connect with that word. And then in recent, um, a recent research, a body of research we did in the UK looking at possibly bringing Tipperary products to the UK, London consumers saw it as local, which was really, really interesting. We here in Ireland see local as our town or our parish or our whatever. But London consumers see Ireland as local and they see, indeed see Tipperary as local. And the words that came out when they thought of Tipperary were natural, green, and all those words that we actually stand for and that they're, they're brand pillars, if you like, of, of what we are. So we have a great place name that we hope to leverage that and bring our food to um, markets both nationally and internationally in the future. So we have great, a great vision for the county in food and, and, and great hopes. There is a very strong brand there amongst the food producers in Tipperary and there's great collaboration there. Was it always like that or was it something that you had to work at? I think that exists naturally. I think, you know, if you go back in history in Ireland and you think of um, the mehel, or I'm not sure whether it was that mehel, but think of mehel, the word mehel and what it means, where neighbour helped neighbour at harvest time, and, and that collaboration went on even then. So in our DNA, that's there. All you need to do is bring it to the surface. And um, I remember the first challenge of, for the Tipperary food producers was to have a dinner and to bring everyone together in long table style. And the symbolism of the table was that we were all united through the one ingredient, which was food. And the challenge was to stay within the county boundary and to source every single ingredient. And we saw that as a mighty challenge in the very beginning. But the actual challenge in the end was including everything that was available. And that absolutely showed me one thing, that individually these products were great, But when you put them together as a collection, it was quite outstanding. And to put a whole meal together and be challenged to include it all on the one menu was a really, really eye-opening exercise for everybody involved. And I remember that first night when we brought stakeholders in in the industry together, both um, local government, uh, national politicians, uh, and every other stakeholder in the industry. And we put them all around the table and there was 80 people together at that one meal. And everybody walked away with a different point of view both about Tipperary, because we had it in Kerr Castle, which is um, one of the, one of the um, beautiful monuments that's here in Tipperary. And we also had it in outdoors on this long table across the, the main yard of that. And, you know, people kind of stood and thought, every single thing piece of this was produced within this county. How much are we to be proud of? And we weren't saying anything. This was eight years ago. So we started to work from there. Now, you're a butcher yourself, like that's, that's your day job, mm-hmm. but I don't mm-hmm. know, do you get much time to be in the butcher shop or be in the abattoir and do what you need to do there? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm fifth generation butcher, so I suppose it's part of my DNA as well. You know, I've grown up in it and I've, um, I've lived it all my life. And um, I was very lucky to um, take over the business for my parents and it's an extremely well-founded business uh, with a very, very strong team. 
Um, so I'm really, really lucky to work with really dedicated professionals that work alongside me and, uh, and deliver uh, a great product to our customers. And that's grown over 55 or 6 years at this stage. And, uh, you know, there's established practice there. So it's not about me being there every single day of the week. It's about uh, working with all the team that are there at, at all different, whether it's at the farm or whether it's in the abattoir, whether it's in the boning room or whether it's in the shops. Um, my, my job is to set the tone and to steer the ship. Very much leadership. I can, I can sense that from you. You're very much a leader, not only in your business, but with the group of people that are the temporary food producers. Yeah, but I think leadership comes from a clear, defined vision and communicating that vision to all stakeholders, and that's true leadership. So I think if the vision of the business is well-defined, I, I think your job as leadership is really easy. You know, one of the key criteria I, w- I would have in selecting somebody at interview stage is I want to hear the word, I love butchering, or I love what I do, because I don't think it's a career that you can just fall in or out of. I don't think it's a career you can actually develop a liking for having joined. I think you need to want to do it and you need to have connected with it ever before you joined. And I think if you have a workforce where the common denominator is the love of the business, I think you have a, you have a great chance of success. You know, and it's, it's all about the people that are involved because their personality is imparted on the product. I can select the product, I can mature the product, but their craft is what brings it to life for the consumer and brings it into retail cuts that we understand every day of the week. Well, you can very much sense the passion that you have talking to you. And the last time I spoke to you, you had written a book with Katie mm-hmm. McGuinness. Mm-hmm. And I, I distinctly remember in that interview you talking about the cow and about every aspect of the cow, mm-hmm. every element of the cow should be used because it has sacrificed mm-hmm. its life mm-hmm. for people to mm-hmm. eat part of it. Mm-hmm. Because I suppose back there, in a lot of instances, not every part of an animal is used. Is that how the, brip, the dripping came about? Yeah, you know, I'm a very big supporter of um, Board B's initiative of Origin Green, which is making us uh, more sustainable in our practice and in our business. And a number of years ago, I became a verified member of that. And uh, that, that, you know, it, gave, it gives my thinking a completeness. Um, I think we're very fortunate to be where we are on the planet. We're very fortunate to have the natural resources which we have, and everyone gives out about it, the climate, because we can grow great grass, and nature gives us those beautiful animals that we can grow them. And I think we owe it to them to use every single part of it. And I was looking at, you know, what we were doing with fat, and, and it was a waste product for us. And I was looking at how we can actually bring it back and, and, and make it real for people and make it relevant to the generation that it was. And some of that inspiration comes from the past, and some of that inspiration comes from looking back. And some of the best inspiration I've ever had in my life has come from practice that has gone on. I have looked at that practice and contemporized it and brought it forward. But dripping was one of those things that I looked at. My mother taught me what to do with it because I had a simple conversation with her about it. She taught me the process, and I literally packaged it exactly as it was packaged 50 years ago and brought it to the market. And when I brought it to the market, people were looking at me and they were kind of thinking, you know, it's dripping, you know, I mean, it's fat. I mean, where are you off to? But I shared it with my customers and I gave it to them and I thought, you know, go and try it. And it built its own following. And through the Tipperary Food Producers, um, I got involved in Great Taste Awards because everyone was entering a product together. And the challenge for me was to send meat to the UK to be judged. And I thought, I'll send the dripping because it'll travel easy. You know, there was no master plan to change this conversation or whatever. So I sent the dripping and the dripping uh, was... It beat 10,000 products to become supreme champion. They were just blown away by it. They were completely blown away by it. But, you know, it's it's a crazy product because everybody that tastes it remembers their father, their grandmother, their grandfather, and everybody tells a story. It's it's the most nostalgic product I've ever, ever, ever had anything to do with. And quite quite honestly, um, it's 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 um, unashamedly from a time that we all grew up with. And when you actually taste it, you reconnect with great memories of great food. And it's very hard to put your finger on what it actually is, but the minute you taste it, you get it. And you think, that's it, that's the element that has been missing. And, you know, there are a number of cases, there's a number of applications or how you can use it. And I suppose it's MSG, it's a natural flavour enhancer from 50 years ago, but there's none of the nasty stuff in it. It's very good fat. And something else from maybe 50 years ago is bone broth, which mm-hmm. is very much mm-hmm. uh, in vogue now. And mm-hmm. on Twitter there a couple of weeks ago, I could see a bit of dialogue going back and forth between different people about bone broth, like it was just a fad. It's just another name for stock. But you wouldn't agree with that. 
No, I think bone broth has unique things. I, I, I honestly believe that clean, well-produced food is probably the most powerful medicine in the world. And I really believe that. I think we can heal through food if we're very careful and considered in, in what we eat. I think properly made bone broth using um, stock, uh, using bone marrow, bones with bone marrow um, is what gives it the properties it needs. And again, it's about the integrity of the product and the ingredients that go to make that product and the process in the product that make, make great bone broth. So I think to trivialize it and say it's just another word for stock is not fair. And I think that if the product is, is used with the correct ingredients, can have really, really, really powerful health benefits. And I think you're going to see more and more people looking for um, great and naturally produced food um, to actually heal with and, and to improve their health and well-being. And I think if you look at all the consumer trends, people are looking for that increased amount of health and well-being and, and harmonizing the whole body or the, the acidity and the alkalinity in the body. And they're doing that through great food. And that doesn't mean it has to be organic or it has to be free range or it has to be whatever it is. Those things are elements of it. I think the ethics of how food is produced is probably the most important thing. So ethically produced food that is good for you and proven to be good for you uh, is a good position to be in. Now, fortunately, your products are widely available. They don't have to come to Tipperary for mm -hmm. them. You're in the Avoca stores? Yeah, we have three butcher shops in Dublin. We are in the Avoca store in Kilmechanic, in Monkstown and in Rathcool. Uh, we have an online business through jameswheelandbutchers.com, which is a great resource, not only for purchasing meat, but a great cooking resource. There's great recipes there. And I put a blog up there whenever I get time to write it. And uh, we have our home store in Clonmel, which is a great visual experience and a celebration of meat, really. Uh, the front window is a, is a glass cold room that, where we hang quarters of meat and just celebrate what it is, a great natural product. And I think we're so, so lucky in this country to have access to great meat. And we have so much to be proud of in Irish beef. Uh, so wherever it is you see Irish beef, support it because it's a wonderful, wonderful product. I absolutely agree with you, Pat. Great to talk to you and congratulations on bringing the Great Taste Awards to Clonmel. Thank you very much. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. If you're just tuning in, you can catch the show on The Best Possible Taste podcast, soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show or subscribe to it free of charge on iTunes or use the podcast app. Our resident wine guru, Ron Forrestal, has been in the studio tonight sharing his wine tips and recommendations for summer wines. And just before the break, I was talking to Pat Whelan from John Whelan Butchers about many subjects, including hosting the Great Taste Awards judging in Clonmel, County Tipperary, in April this year. Nationwide and RTE did a great feature on the Great Taste Awards and many of the Tipperary producers, so if you missed that, you should really check it out on the iPlayer. And speaking of TV, this Sunday on TV3's Sunday AM, Lizzie Lyons from Listool will be making her television debut when she appears on the breakfast show and shares a great recipe with the viewers. She's on the phone now to tell us more about Lizzie's little kitchen and how she feels about appearing on TV. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Lizzie, two years ago you were standing in Listool Market selling your wares and this Sunday you're going to be standing in the Sunday AM kitchen on TV, on TV3 in fact. How did this all come about? Um, well, I started in in Listool Market two years ago. I um, relocated home um, to Listool from London. I worked there for eight years and my last job before leaving London was working for Universal Music. Um, they were very much um, food orientated. I was a catering manager there. So I learned lots of tricks on eating well and eating healthy and sourcing local and um, how to, I suppose, bring flavours and, and, and dishes together really cost effectively and cleverly and um, how to utilise your time best when you're when you want to prepare food and, and that's the way you achieve healthy eating and and clever eating is, is is in your prep in your preparation and 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 how we how we decide on our dishes and and the kind of menu planning it must have been a huge risk to pack in a very high flying job with universal and come back to listool to start up in a market but it was obviously something that you felt very passionate about 
Yeah, um, I suppose I, I, my heart uh, was always at home, you know, Meilene Tintorm or the Hintorn fame, I suppose, but I had always wanted to come home and, of course, family is around. Um, it was a massive risk and I think it was more of a culture shock coming home um, than it was moving over there, but it worked out and it panned out well and I knew that the Stoll was a great town and North Curry is a great a great place to, to start a business because... Um, people and customers are so so very good to to support their own and to support local so i knew it would be a great starting point for me and really um it, it was a it was one of the easiest way to to gain entry into the market and see if there was a demand for the products that i was selling and that i was producing and uh, yeah the store mar- market turned out to be um the best decision and the relocation home that that we ever made as a family and I suppose, as a a business venture as well. And it was, there was a demand for your products, for your lovely tagines, your curries, your fabulous chowder, and so much so that last summer you opened a pop-up in Ballybunion, which is no longer a pop-up, it's still there. Yeah, um, I had decided that um, it was time that I needed another little outlet and um, I suppose uh, something that was more permanent and had more of a permanent base and um, kind of on a business decision that you would you you would locate somewhere where you kind of had a name built up so Ballybunion was the best place it was seasonal if it proved even further that there was a demand for the products that I was selling because um, there were so many different um, types of people coming into Ballybunion you know you had loads of Europeans loads of the UK market loads of locals loads of um, national on a national basis from Dublin and Limerick and whatever the case may be coming on holidays and that really proved to me that there was a massive market for what I was doing and I suppose gave me that other little bit of a push and that bit of confidence to in in myself to know what I was doing was right and uh, I was in the right direction and doing the right thing. It was always your dream to have your own place and Ballybunion was a step in the right direction but even more excitement for you because next month you're opening up a permanent restaurant in Listowel. Yeah, that's right. Um, I suppose I always dreamed of this and you never, when it's happening you never really think that it will and uh, I suppose I, I ploughed on through and worked really hard and yeah, eventually the dream is coming true and I'm opening a place in Listowel next month. It'll be very much along the ethos of, of, of what I believe in food should be. You know, it's practical. It's, it, we have to be thrifty with how we prepare and how we present our food. Um, it should be accessible to everyone. Everybody should have the opportunity to eat well and, and, and to know what good food is about and to educate and to discover new tastes and new spices and uh, new dishes, whatever the case may be. Um, so that's my ethos. And I don't have a big massive menu I pick really good food cook it really well um, keep the menu to a minimum and we're turning over our food so it's fresh all the time and, and that's my ethos and as you know you, you're you practical and you're you're not going out with a big massive menu and it's kind of worked for me and it's not kind of but it has worked for me and yeah I'm going to stick to that in the stove as well obviously we'll have um, we'll be open longer we'll be doing breakfast dishes and um, afternoon dishes as well um, it'll just be a bit more extensive I suppose than market and our little cafe in Ballybunion so we're really excited and um, we're really looking forward to present it to the people of North Korea I hope we we will we'll do well and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll attract some new 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 visitors to the stall and to Valley Onion as well. I've mentioned some of the dishes there, like the lamb tagine and the <coughs> curries that you do. And of course, your chowder is, is very famous in Newcastle West with my father-in-law. But you mm. also do fabulous salads. Tell us a bit about those. Yeah, well, I suppose um, the way I present a salad is um, um, I, I present it always with a, with a slice of my own homemade brown seeded soda bread. Uh, my own recipe that I worked on for maybe about four or five months to get it right. Um, we do as an open sandwich, so we'd have avocado and dingle bay crab with it, or we would have an open chicken sandwich with Rigney's Farm um, crispy bacon and kind of parmesan and a parmesan dressing on it. And then we would have a selection of salads, so you're not just getting one salad, you're getting maybe four or five tasters kind of tapas salads. So for instance, you could have a really nice 
today, for instance, was on a, a chickpea, red bean, pepper and pineapple um, a salad. There was a roasted sweet potato with buckwheat and pomegranate and mint. We had really nice, fresh, organic leaves that came from um, Limerick over around Templeganton. And we also had on a really nice apple slaw. So it's just a, a kind of a healthy a healthy curve on coleslaw where we 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 um a slice up finely sliced really nice fresh red apples into it, lots of lemon juice, a little bit of Dijon and a tiny little bit of mayonnaise. So um it's nice and healthy and it's not heavy and you don't feel bad. So the whole ethos is that you eat a salad or you eat whatever you may eat in, in Lizzie's little kitchen and you don't want to go to sleep, you want to get up and you want to walk around and you want to go for a walk on the beach if you're in Ballywonian or if you're in the store you want to walk down to the cow's lawn and have a big walk around the cow's lawn and that's what eating should be, we should be fueling our bodies to get up and move and not to lie down and go to sleep so there are the kind of um, salads and dishes that we that we do all mouth-watering and sadly you can't tell us what you're going to be making on TV3 this weekend but listeners should definitely tune in to see you in all your glory at Sunday AM and it's on from 9 o'clock on Sunday morning so we look forward to seeing you then. Congratulations on your success to date and all the best on Sunday. Thanks very much Sharon. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Fantastic to talk to Lizzie and I will, for one, definitely be tuning in on Sunday morning and can't wait to see your slot. So we're at the end of the show, sadly. If you've missed any of it and you want to listen to it all over again, check out the podcast, soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show or subscribe to it free of charge on iTunes or use the podcast app. As always, thanks a million for tuning in and of course to all of tonight's guests, Ron Forrestal, Brigitte Head and Curtin, Pat Whelan and Lizzie Lyons. Next week, it's second helpings of the best possible taste when you get to hear some interviews all over again. I'll be back at the start of June with an all new show for you. So until then, have a great week and as always, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit.